This is Jay Scott. I absolutely live and breathe hunting and fishing. I spend more than half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I've been a professional hunter and guide since the late 90s, and over the years I've been on amazing hunting and fishing adventures that have resulted in many memories, trophies, and wild game dining. I've authored numerous magazine articles that have been featured in Western Big Game hunting publications and served for three years as a judge for the World Championship Elk Calling Contest. I've operated a successful hunting and fishing blog, YouTube channel, and other social media platforms since 2008. You can get all the photos, videos, and content at jscottoutdoors.com. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inform by covering all sorts of topics ranging from tactics, preparation, field judging, calling, scouting, and gear, as well as regular updates on all our hunting and fishing trips throughout the year. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, episode one. We're fortunate today to be joined by Dar Colburn, my great friend. And Dar and I own and operate a guide service, hunting guide service here in the state of Arizona called Colburn and Scott Outfitters. We have a website, colburnandscottoutfitters.com. Dar is also a regular contributor to jscottoutdoors.com. And we share a real estate business here in uh, the Maricopa County, uh, Phoenix, metropolitan Phoenix area uh, here in the state of Arizona. And um, uh, so we're around each other a lot, and he's just a heck of a guy. He's a great hunter, great glasser, and um, it's been fun over the last, oh, pushing 20 years maybe uh, to know this guy and get to share experiences and hunt with him and fish with him and watch him raise his two boys, Parker and Paul, and um we're fortunate to be joined today with him, and we're going to talk about how his last couple months has been going. Uh, Parker had a deer hunt, and uh, then we uh, had uh, two weeks down in Mexico hunting uh, coos deer with uh, clients and during the rut, and so we've just got a lot of great things to share with you. Appreciate our listeners tuning in, and um, let's get right to the show here. Dar, how you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Good. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about you know, we've had kind of a heck of a run here the last couple months with Bob O'Connor's sheep and 15D and, you know, being the largest Nelson I harvested this year in the state of Arizona and beautiful flaring ram, which we'll probably get into into detail on another podcast. But um, one of the most special hunts I know for you uh, was uh, your son, Parker, which, by the way, uh, Parker's middle name is Coos, C-O-U-E-S, named after his dad's favorite deer. And uh, Parker finally drew a Coos deer permit in uh, Unit 23 in Arizona. And um, tell me about your hunt. You guys had a heck of a time, huh? Yeah, we had a great time. Uh, you know, I, I put him in for that late hunt knowing he would draw it because uh, he had a lot of points. But you know the the trophy quality potential is there on those those later hunts because the weather's cooler um you can see some pre-rut rut activity but the main reason was just you know that hunt is a little bit longer it's almost 3 weeks long and it gives us gave us a chance to hunt during during its christmas break from school and and you know we got to make three different trips into the unit to hunt which was uh you know it's fun spending a lot of time together so that first weekend when you went, was he already in break, or did he have to come back and go to school for a few days, and then he was off on break? Yeah, no, he had he had to. Uh, we hunted the first. I'm trying to remember, I think we hunted two or three days the first weekend, and then he had to go back to school. Gotcha. What kind of conditions did you have that first um, first weekend? Was there any rutting at all, or was it fairly warm, or what was the deal? Um, trying to recall. The- First weekend, I think we had a, a pretty good storm come through. We actually spent um, the first afternoon. We got up there. We spent pretty much all evening, uh, with the exception of one hour, in the truck because it was raining. Uh, it did stop, and we ran out and glassed for the last hour and saw some. You know, I think we saw two or three does and maybe one little buck. But then we hunted the next two days, and uh, the weather broke. There was a little bit of snow the second morning, so it was cold. Um, but pre-rut conditions on some of the little bucks, 
but then we also did see, I would say the little, little bucks were, you know, sniffing the does, but then we saw groups of, I would say, middle-aged class bucks that were still together. So so the bucks weren't traveling and doing that, you know, rut walk, looking around, looking, you know, no. they, weren't, they weren't moving yet. No, they weren't moving, uh, staying together, and, you know, like you said, not really moving around very much. I, I know you and Parker had um, been working a lot on his gun. What gun? I know he has several. Which gun did he end up taking, and what load did you guys find was working best for him? Well, he got he got a 6.5 Creedmoor, a little Weatherby Vanguard, and 6.5 Creedmoor. So he was shooting that. We had practiced quite a bit with it. Um, he shot some 120 grain ballistic tips out of there, and it was shooting like just under 3,000 feet a second, a little vortex scope. But we'd shot a lot, um, you know, before the hunt, out to five, 600 yards. So it shot the gun quite a bit. And if I remember right, he um, his first year when he turned 10, he had that rifle hunt where you and I uh, went up on that hunt and he was able to harvest his first coos deer um, uh, his first year. And then... The next year, didn't he shoot a buck with his bow? Yep. A mule deer, right? Yeah, a mule deer. And then, so this would be his third year hunting deer. And um, so tell me about when you guys finally um, got up there for your final hoorah, and um, I think you had some rough weather. Yeah, well, the first the first two years Parker had hunted, he had, I think he had hunted a combined day for the two bucks that he shot. He shot, <laughs> his first buck was... After school, opening day, drove him out there, and he shot a buck right away that evening. And then Great buck, yeah. yeah. I remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah, and then the archery hunt last year it was opening day. We went out in the evening and sat a water hole, and he shot a buck after sitting there for 30 minutes. So, A spike? Was it a spike yeah, or a two spike, point? little meal deer. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. So, with his bow. How far was his shot with his bow? Uh, it was 30 yards. 30 yards. So, I mean, he's got two deer under his belt in a total of two days, and he's thinking, uh, yeah, he's thinking this is easy, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's a little jaded. He was a little jaded. But he, so he wanted his goal, he wanted to shoot a, you know, a buck close to 100 inches on this hunt. Um, we had talked about that. And after hunting the first two weekends, the biggest buck we saw was probably a 90 inch buck, I'm going to say. Did you see much noticeable difference in the first weekend and the second weekend as far as activity, or was it still pretty lethargic and not really ruddy? Where we were and what we saw, I would say it was still still pretty slow. Mm-hmm. Um, the weather was a little better the second weekend. I mean, in terms of, you know, we didn't have any storms rolling through. Um, but then after Christmas, Parker ended up, we ended up going home. Right before Christmas, had Christmas, and Parker ended up getting sick. And so he was on having to do breathing treatments like four times a day and had a fever and a cough. And so I talked. We ended up, we were going to go the last, I think, five days of the season. but Which would be the last five days of December, right? December, yes. Yeah, after Christmas. Yeah, we ended up staying at home an extra day to, to let him hopefully heal up a little bit more and convinced my wife that he was, you know, everything had broken and he was on his medicine and he was on the road to recovery. So she let us go the last four days and we ended up, we took uh, his breathing treatment machine and (laughs) uh, slept in the tent, had a, one of those big buddy heaters, propane heaters. And it was great. The, uh, that thing kept the tent nice and warm all night and, now, is that one of those that um, it shuts itself off and it doesn't produce carbon monoxide? Correct. Yeah. So you felt, from a safety standpoint, you felt like that was a real that was a real good um, deal, huh? Definitely. And and not that we couldn't handle the cold without the heater, but with him being sick, heater yeah. sure made it nice because it it just kept it warm in there where I wasn't worried about him getting even sicker. Uh, so we hunted. It was kind of funny. We hunted the first couple days and had seen some bucks. Still nothing great. And after the second day, he looked at me and he said, you know, Dad, this 
this deer hunting is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my life. It's hard. It's not. It's not easy. You've been lucky that you know the last couple of years you've shot bucks the first day and haven't had to really hunt. So he had hunted six days and uh, said, "I I really want to get a buck." You know, I, I really want to get one. I said, okay, well, we can, you know, shoot the next one we see. He said, yeah, I, I just, I want, I don't want to go home without a buck. I said, all right, that's great. Yeah. So he ended up shooting and missing a a little, uh, a two-point at probably uh, 350 yards that was chasing does all over the place, and which made it a little bit difficult trying to get him set up because, We'd get set up, and then the buck would chase the does around. and have to... Now, how many days left? Was there two days left or something in this situation, or what, yeah, what day was there that? There was two days left, and the last day there was supposedly a, a big storm supposed to roll in that we potentially might not be able to hunt because the weather was coming. So basically we were looking at it as our last day in case that storm hit. Right. And so he shot at that buck and didn't get it. Um, we actually had another buck that was bigger that we made a play on. He just dropped out of our sight, and we never could locate him again. Got down in a canyon and never could find him, and then he shot at the one. Now, by this time, were you guys seeing quite a bit more activity? You just hadn't picked up any any, any real good bucks, but you did see a lot more activity? Definitely more activity. The deer were moving around more. Um, it seemed like the bucks were on the move more. Typically what you would expect on a pre-rut, you know, bucks cruising, um, not feeding as much, you know, just out cruising on a line looking for does, I would say. How much of that do you think was temperature related and how much of it do you think was just, you know, timing of timing of things? I think it was more timing personally because that first weekend, you know, that the, the second morning we woke up and there was a inch or two of snow on the ground. So... And the bucks we did see that day were up feeding, but they still weren't moving, covering country looking for does on on like a rut walk. Gotcha. So I I would say it was more timing than than weather. So this puts you guys, um, you're you're basically done that night, and and a big storms coming in the next day. Yep. And you're in the tent, and is the wind blowing? Is the full storm coming in, or what was it like? No, it was it it was actually normal. Um, and we had talked to you, been texting back and forth with you and our good friend Cody Nelson at the Outdoorsman's, and trying to get uh, weather updates as to, you know, if we were going to be able to hunt in the morning or what, if it was going to be rain or snow, and uh, so we basically we made a plan that. It sounded like the weather was going to come in about eight o'clock in the morning, and uh, it would be a whiteout, if I remember. Yeah, right. it was supposed to hit pretty hard, uh, pretty big winter storm for Arizona. And we're in a tent, so we made a plan that night that you know we had to at least try. So we got up at at four, and I think it was getting light around seven. So we got up at four, had breakfast, coffee, and then got camp all broke down packed up and got everything put away in the truck other than the stuff we needed and we we ended up going back to the spot where we'd seen the most deer just thinking that that was going to be our best chance at just finding a buck and when we got up it was crystal clear stars out uh, wind was calm temperature temperature was i'm going to say mid 30s to low 30s um, so it was, I mean, it was setting up for a good morning. So we ran down to where we'd seen the most deer previously and sat there for probably an hour, hour and a half. And I don't even think we saw a deer. Was it one of those things where when it's cold like that, that typically they just don't even start moving until the sun kind of gets up like at eight o'clock and then they finally start moving? It, it very well could have been. It, it definitely could have been. Um, but after not after sitting there for that long and knowing we had such a short window, I told Parker we gotta go we gotta go try somewhere else before this thing hits. You know, we gotta make try and make something happen. So we ended up going back up to a spot we've been to with our friend Cody Cody Nelson, and uh, it wasn't 
I don't know, we'd probably been there half an hour, and the wind started picking up, the clouds were rolling in, like, you know, this storm's coming, and it was just about the, to the point where the wind was getting so bad that you couldn't hardly glass. I glassed up a buck right as he was about to bed down in the uh, in kind of a wide-open yellow grass uh, hillside, and so we got a bead on him, and he bedded down right in the open, so Parker and I made a, a push over to where he was, and ended up having to hike probably three or four hundred yards from the road and get set up and we popped up and he was he had been bedded but when we popped up on the little ridge where we could shoot from he was up and headed into a, a ravine where if he got in there we wouldn't wouldn't be able to see him anymore how far it was i think about 350 mm-hmm. and so he did before parker could could get him in the scope he got into this little draw out of our sight and then uh, it was probably two or three minutes later, he came running out with, with a doe back to the same spot. And <laughs> Parker shot and missed him and shot just underneath him. At this point, do you think he was just rushing the shot, just not making a good squeeze like you guys had practiced? Yeah, I think or? so. I think so. I think he was trying yeah. to force it too hard, you know, just really yeah. taking his time. We've all been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and it probably didn't help that it was, you know, crunch time. And this is, I kept telling him, this is going to be your last chance. You know, you got to make it count. So that, that probably didn't help things. Yeah. But, so he shot at that one and the buck kind of ran off, but didn't, the wind was blowing so hard and he was so interested in the doe, he really didn't know what was going on. And he ended up kind of working his way away from us, but didn't really know what was happening. And then... Probably 10 minutes later, he chased a, another buck back towards us that ended up bedded, bedding down at, uh, I think it was 470. So now you have two coos bucks out in front of yeah. you. Yeah, but they've moved. The wind's blowing. It's one. starting to snow. Yep. Snow, spitting snow. The, the first buck that he shot at ended up following the doe and, and leaving, you know, leaving the open hillside. So now we're faced with we got the the other buck is bedded at 470, but you can't see his vitals. All we can see is his head, and uh, the wind was blowing pretty hard. So we got we were all set up for that yardage and everything, and Parker was on him, and we sat there for probably uh, between I bet 30 minutes, and he finally stood up, and Parker Parker made a good shot, and uh, and shot him. Awesome. Yeah, that was fun. That's awesome. That's uh, so that's that's his third deer. Yep. Um, in three years. Yep. And uh, he's living up to his middle name of Coos Colburn. He is so far. That's awesome. And then uh, so then you guys came back and the photos. Um, you can see them on our website on jscottoutdoors.com. Um some awesome photos the pack out was all in the snow and then by the time you got to the ranger there was what a couple inches on the ranger yeah it was probably four four inches three or four inches on the ranger and i mean we took our packs off and by the time we took pictures and i got it quartered up to to pack out our packs were just covered in snow and it was uh it was pretty neat you don't get that very often in arizona yeah well that's awesome on the last day and um getting to share it with them um really cool hunt and then you and i then you didn't have much time i think we left on the 6th of january um we take coos deer hunters down to mexico uh colburn and scott outfitters and we've done that for years and um let's see we went down there i believe on the 6th and um you know honestly when we get down there they're typically you know starting to move around and starting to act ruddy and you know, my recollection of the first week this year, the the 7th through whatever that is, the 14th or um, whatever that date is, um, just seemed like there wasn't much moving around, um, which in, you know, past years, sometimes that first week, it's on and it, and we've shot some of our best bucks then. Yeah, I would agree. You, you remember though, we had that, I want to say well, the first three days, you know, it was 20 to 25 mile an hour winds. That's right. Yeah, I, for, I did forget that. That 
it gets so bad windy sometimes in those conditions where literally your binos, you know, you're glassing into the wind because you figure the deer are always going to be on the, you know, the lee side or the non-windy side, but your your binos are shaking so hard that at some times I remember it was gusting where it was like, it was literally pointless to be yeah, glassing. Yeah, it just takes a lot out of you. You're, you know, you have to, you want to still be glassing because you're, you only have so many days, but at the same time, you know, it's just not, I mean, those deer are not going to be up moving around very much. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, we shot a few bucks on the first week and our guys had a great time, but it was certainly a little bit of a letdown compared to the success that we've had over the years. Um, yeah. And then, last, the, I mean, if you remember the last Chris, the buck Chris shot, it, it was following a doe, but then, um, Dirk's buck on the last evening, it was bedded with three bucks. Yeah. I mean, last, last evening, um, we split up cause Dirk's got to get his buck and, um, Dar spots a small buck and says, Hey, I got a buck over here. And Dirk's like, I want to try this coos deer meat. I, you know, I'll, I'll take that buck. So Dirk and Gary and I, was it Dirk, Gary and I and Kevin, Kevin yeah. came over there to you guys. It was you and Chris had this buck and, um, we were on that opposite ridge. And by the time we get down there to you, I can tell something's going on and a better buck was right there bedded with, you know, what was there? Three, it was a couple two points and then the three by four, yeah. whatever the buck Dirk shot. Yeah. And, um, we were all there and got to watch Dirk shoot that buck. That was pretty cool on the last night of their hunt. Yeah, that was a pretty neat, neat ending to the week for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, our second week down there, um, we had Dean Heitzelman and Bill Bertram and um, Dan Boyd. And so we, we took the first group back to the border in Mexico and picked up the second group. And we got back to Glasson. And then we had seven full days after our travel day. And the, the rut definitely picked up um, the last week. Uh, would you agree? Definitely would agree. You know, but it's interesting. A couple years before... Um, you know, when we were on that ranch, you know, Justin shot that one real pretty three by three that first week. Remember how cold it was? Yeah, and I and I definitely think that was that was different conditions that year because of the temperatures. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it was actually so cold that the deer didn't move till probably ten o'clock in the morning. But then it was, you know, like a ten to two, just nonstop, and then they bedded back down. I'm convinced that they just conserve their energy when it gets that cold they're just going to lay down you know a lot of people think oh the rut and deer you know when it's when it's real cold they're going to move well coos deer in my opinion and dar you can weigh in on this they're so thin skinned that at the at the certain temperature when it's that cold they just stay down and stay bedded until that sun comes up and you know a lot of times you get that midday movement would you agree yeah i would definitely agree seems like they're they're pretty sensitive when it comes to weather and cold and wind and heat doesn't bother them as much, I would say, but, but the severe cold, Arctic cold and certainly wind both affect them. Yeah. They're, they're finicky little animals for sure. Um, any little wind chop, you know, darn, I can pretty much sometimes predict, you know, just from the conditions will be like, they won't be up for an hour cause there's, you know, some wind chop. And then as soon as it lays down, boom, they start standing up and feeding all over the place. Um, so that first day I was with Dean and you were with, um, Dan and Bill Bertram. Bill had two tags in his pocket and, um, Dean and I spotted this buck up. Um, ironically, it's where Chris, uh, Karvosky had seen that buck the week before I look up on this Mesa and, um, I called Dar on the radio and told him, Hey, I, I got a, buck up here on the same mesa where chris saw that buck last week that he had told us he'd seen a good buck and you know dean and i were looking at it up there and you know he looked pretty darn good i got some video footage of him up there and he was feeding on this oak tree and um couldn't tell exactly exactly what he was but he looked like a real nice buck and um but you know i wasn't you know he 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 didn't just jump out that he was, you know, a 110 inch type buck or 115 inch type buck. You know, I thought, I thought he's, 
you know, nice buck. But so I called R and tell him, hey, we got a nice buck. Um, and by that time, the buck had kind of moved way down this hill and literally come like three quarters of a mile closer to us and was rutting around with some does. We were looking at him pretty darn close. And the closer he got, kind of the smaller he looked. He, he was kind of a little bit crab clawed in the front. And, um, you know, he did have an extra point. Uh, an extra G3 on one side and, um, you know, Dean, we looked at him and he said, oh, he's a little crabby in front. And, you know, what do you think he scored? And I got to be honest. I mean, I was saying, you know, at first I thought he was a, you know, 105 type big, you know, plus type buck. And the closer he got, he just kept shrinking on us. I thought he was, you know, a 95 to 100 inch buck. And, you know, being the first day with seven days to go, Dean had already shot, you know, several nice bucks and bigger than that. And, so anyway, he elected to pass, and um, Dan's like, I'll take a buck like that, and uh, why don't you tell me your perspective on how that all worked out, coming down and meeting up and the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, well, it, it definitely, I could hear in your voice that you had a good one, but then, like you said, as it got closer, you started, you know, second-guessing, and, and I think part of that, too, was he was up on that mesa in the sun, you right. know, and then probably came down where it wasn't in the sun, um, which which can make it tough when they're in that yellow grass trying to... Well, and, and you know, w- you and I have a rule, a general rule, that we never like to overjudge anything. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying we're, we're perfect all the time because we're certainly not, but the last thing we want to do is, you know, overguess a deer yeah. and, you know, say it's 110 and it turned out to be, you know, 100 or you know, say it's a hundred and it turns out to be 90. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you guys made the plan that you were going to go get over on a point across from where that buck was. Yep. And, um, he was bedded down over there under some trees. Yeah. We got over there and I got to see him. It was probably 450 yards away for a few minutes. Uh, he got up and was, was feeding and then, I thought he looked like a pretty good buck. I, I thought he was a hundred, at least a hundred. And and I know Dan was going to be happy with you know anything in that class. So we made. Yeah, I mean, he clearly said score doesn't matter yeah. to me at all. I love the way that buck looks. Yeah. And... So we we made a, a plan. He ended up getting up. Something I think spooked him, right? Or he. The wind blew hot. Yeah, a big gust of wind came up, and I'm watching him. Dean and I are watching him through our binos, and he just takes off running, having nothing to do with you guys. Yeah. Um, but then he crossed over and got across that canyon and bedded down. Um, yeah, I don't know what all that was about. They get real finicky when a gust of wind comes up. But, you know, if if, if you have a lion chasing you every day of your life, you'd be a little spooky, too. Yeah, definitely. Which, by the way, we had seen a lion uh, like the week it, before, right in that, right spot. in that same spot, yeah. right in that same spot. So, how far was his shot? How Dan and I got over there and got on a rock pile right across from him, and it was—I want to say it was two seventy-five or yeah, that sounds about right. something. Anyways, we we were over there and set up for no more than probably ten minutes, and the buck got up and started actually going back up to where you had originally seen him, headed kind of back up on the mesa, and, and Dan was able to shoot him. Yeah, and interestingly, that was probably at noon, and um just seems like that mid-January time frame, you got to be glassing at all hours of the day because those bucks just, you know, they may lay for a bit, but they seem like they get antsy, and then, they, you know, they want to get up and go check for does, and luckily you guys were ready and on it and made a great shot, and of course... Dean and I get over there, and I can tell by the look on Dar's face that, you know, I probably talked Dean out of shooting a buck that he probably should have shot. But uh, he, Dean was very gracious and very happy that Dan got a nice buck and turned out to be a 110-inch buck. Um, you know, that was a a perfect case there where I, you know, I, I'm always learning something about these deer. And field judging animals in general and that buck had more mass than what I thought and so that's why his points to me were looking short I think yeah um you know when they have skinny points they look long when they have you know a lot of mass throughout the points and all through the webbing of the you know main beam it just makes their points look shorter and I think that's where that buck fooled me but um definitely the mass there is 
it's definitely made up for it in mass. And it, and it like you said, its points look shorter, but it's just because they're heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're on the board now with a great buck on the ground. And, um, you know, the year before, our best buck was um, Brady Miller. And um, he's the one that won the Kuyu raffle hunt. Uh, Jason Hairston of Kuyu uh, was doing a hunt with us and um, filming it for Western Hunter um, TV. And uh, uh, they had, a, I believe, a photo contest. And Brady's photo won the contest. And he won the hunt. And on the same ranch and um he wanted to use his bow and he hunted for a couple days this is the year before so it would have been the 2000 january 2014 he uh used his bow for a couple days and just didn't get many opportunities and um it was pretty dry that year and we talked him into sitting water and shoot our what was he up there an hour yeah an hour he's up there an hour and shot a had about a 75-inch buck coming in, and he was going to shoot it, 75 or 80-inch buck, and was going to shoot it, but it kind of winded him in his blind. He went up there and put up a blind, and shoot, 30 minutes later, this buck comes in. He says, didn't even hesitate, came and dunked his head in the water, and Brady shot him at, I don't know, 25, 30 yards. And yeah. He ended up being our biggest buck of the trip last year at 118. Uh, I guess the official scored 110 and an eighth or something like that, and they're telling us it's top 20 Pope and Young all time, I think, number 17. Um, it's supposed to be panel scored here in a couple of weeks at the Pope and Young convention. But, yeah, here um, in Phoenix, actually. Yeah, so, I mean, that you know, this ranch has produced some good bucks. Um, I think we our best buck before that was a 114 the year before that. But um, So then uh, Dan and Bill and you kind of um, kept hunting, and I was still hunting with Dean, um, if I remember right. And then did Bill get his that night or was it the next day? And he had two tags in his pocket. Yeah, he had two tags. And I think it was the next, the next day or two next day or two days later. I can't. Uh-huh. By this time, the deer were moving around running pretty good. If I, you know, they weren't yeah, going crazy, but it was definitely better. Yep. But we, it was warm though. Remember the second week we didn't have, it was pretty much warm the whole time. We did have some wind, right. but it you know it wasn't severely cold. And yeah. you know there's that happy medium between too cold where they don't move, and then just being nice and crisp and cold, and they move a lot. Or if you've got warm temperatures, it seems like they don't they don't move very much at all. Right. So, um, Dar, what do you do uh, on those windy days, like? consciously what do you look for or what do you try and do specifically when it's windy well i mean like you talked about earlier you got to look into the side that's sheltered from the wind the side of the hill into you know if you can find the the side of the mountain or bedding areas that that are sheltered from the wind you certainly are going to find some deer and man you almost have to just pick an area where in my opinion almost pick an area where you know they're going to bed, and they like to bed on, on that slope that's out of the wind and just sit there and pick it apart and hope they stand up. Isn't it a lot, it's kind of parallel to um, glassing when it's warm, when you have those weeks that, you know, have got warm temperatures and you know that they're on the shady sides of the hill where you, you specifically start targeting afternoon glassing into the shade pockets? Yeah. Similar thing with the yeah, wind? Yeah, I would say very similar. Yeah. Yeah, so... You're you're with um, Dan and Bill, and you guys um, spot a nice clean buck, and and Bill wants to get on the board with his first coos deer, have, living in Wisconsin, and um, you guys ended up getting over there on a stock and got a little closer than you kind of broke the Colburn and Scott Outfitters rule of getting inside of 300 yards of a deer you wanted to shoot, and uh, tell me what happened. Well, yeah, the the buck had bedded, and we had to go way around to get over to where he was and I knew where he was at from from hunting the ranch before and we got over there and the buck had actually gotten up and moved off of kind of this flat ridge and down into the canyon and so I didn't chase chasing does yeah, he was with a couple does and basically where he moved it the gig was up I mean we didn't spook him it's just he moved with the does and he was down off the, the flap that we could see um, so our chances of, you know, getting the buck were slim at that point. So 
But Dan said he was right below us and could see him, and so we walked down the, the finger and actually just looked over, happened to catch a doe moving and on the finger across from us, and it was, you know, I think he ended up being like 100 yards away. Yeah, and the th- Dan, or, um, Bill was shooting a thirty three seventy eight with a, was it a 180-grain bullet? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when this bullet hits this deer, I mean, you talk about a carpet sweep. Yeah, oh, my was, goodness. There was, it didn't even twitch. Dar, you mentioned something there that I thought I would bring up. Um, we hunt a lot for coos deer in Mexico. We use radios. It's perfectly legal in the state of Arizona and in Mexico, and um, we find it very effective to use radios. Uh, you know, we we have found that the hunters really like it because there's a lot of, you know, back and forth, and Dar and I are constantly debating and, you know, going back and forth with each other, and it makes for you know, real good camaraderie, but would you also agree that as far as efficiently killing these deer, um, you know, once you spot them and you keep a spotter on them, keep your eyes on them, um, it, it, it takes your success level and goes way up. Would you agree? Definitely. I definitely. And I, and I mean, we're hunting big open country where, you know, sometimes the closest you can get to them is, you know, 350 yards, um, across big canyons and what have you. Yeah, and it's it's just nice for what we do to to go different places and you know spread out. But then once somebody finds a buck they want to shoot, you know we can all help each other and work together, which is you know what we do best is work together instead of just everyone on their own. Yeah, I mean that that's that's um, one tip we can give to the guys out there if it's legal in your state. Um, and and you like using radios uh it seems like everybody's using some sort of communication these days and um it just makes efficiently and effectively getting your deer it just makes it better i mean if a buddy's watching the buck and maybe you wound the buck or maybe don't make as good a shot as you want you know someone's watching them at all times there's never a time that someone isn't watching the deer yeah um, so that, you know, if, if you have to go off in the brush after them, you know, right where to start. Um, you know, we've had instances where bucks have been shot and it gets dark and buddies stay on opposite Ridge with their, with their binos on the spot, not moving it. And the guy waits till the, the hunter walks into his view with the, with the headlamp on and says, okay, you need to keep going. You need to keep going. So it's a pretty effective tool. Um, Not to mention just the safety aspect of it, just knowing where everybody's at at, at all times and that yeah. everybody's okay and that sort of thing. Yeah, you can always check in with your buddies yeah. and see how they're doing. So Dean is up next. Um, the cowboy had seen a pretty good buck, and he was trying to tell me in Spanish where it was, and I was pretty convinced that night I knew where it was, and he had seen it right at dark, rutting with some does, and in this Ocotillo type country. And well, anyway, we go out where I thought it was actually, I second guessed myself on the way over there and I took a different road and started glassing for about 30 minutes and it was just eating at me. And I finally, Dean and I looked at each other and I said, why don't we just go back and, and draw a map? So we're sure compared to that water hole and that gate where that buck is. And so we did, turns out the buck was right where I thought it was before I second guessed myself. So we, we, drove up there and got up on this big high point, crawled out on these rocks out in this, above this Ocotillo flat. And probably 30 minutes go by, boom, I look down there and I pick up some does and I pick this buck up. And um, it's a nice buck. Um, you know, if I figured I'm somewhere between 100 and 105. And, you know, at that point there was, you know, a couple days left in the season. And so Dean said, I really like the look of that buck. And so... Um, I called uh, you, Dar, you and, and um, Dan and Bill, and you guys came over to me, and then you and Dean, I, we stayed on the deer up on the Ocotillo Point, and you and Dean m- made a stock down there, beautiful stock down there. Got, what, 290 or something, 300? Yeah, yeah, it was under 300, I think, just under 300. And that buck um, had been chasing does all morning while I was waiting for you to get over there, and um, he was tucked way up in the shade pocket wasn't he i mean just buried in the shade hole yep and it seemed like that's another good example though you you went and looked right where the cowboy had seen him and picked him up i mean it seemed like 15 20 minutes after you got there and then 
uh, you know, that buck was, if I remember right, that buck was running around with those does pretty much all morning. Yeah, he had been running uh, all morning hard, you know, chasing them, and the does really didn't want to have anything to do with them, so they just kept zigging and zagging, and, you know, the the, the buck would not leave them alone, literally, and, and that's where, when you're glassing these coos deer, if you're just glassing and scanning for movement, um, you can pick up a lot of these deer, and, you know, don't be afraid to glass right at, you know, straight up noon, because when they really get going, it seems like they're moving all day, um, and anyway, you guys get down there, and, and Dean made a great shot on that buck, and so we got his buck down, and I believe we have two days left in the season. Yeah, that that sounds right, and that buck, I want to say that buck, we didn't even get get over to where you guys were till like noon-ish, I want to say. Yeah, and then, I mean, you were on the clear other side of the ranch, Yeah. Um, so you had quite a ways to come over. So that buck had been up pretty much you know half the day yeah he he literally um the the does would try and go over and bed down and he'd get up and you know they just were constantly moving and and like zigging and zagging like going 100 yards and then coming back on the same path 100 yards and then you know going over here 50 yards like no rhyme or reason just you know he was just harassing those does um turned out you know nice buck 104 I think 104, 105 inch type buck. Um, yeah, and it didn't didn't have one or two eye guards. Well, it was missing its eye guard on one side, or you know, it probably would have been a hundred and you know seven inch type buck. Yeah. Uh, it's a neat character kind of buck. It's kind of a wide. Um, it's kind of like that buck you shot on that neighboring ranch. Uh, yeah. Oh, ten years ago, that went close to 120. It's kind of a wide. You know, kind of odd, you know, some of the points are long, some of the points are short, but he's kind of a Texas-looking, yeah. you know, wide-looking buck. And huge body. Oh, that buck had a big old body. Um, I think we took some pictures of that body. The pictures are on the website, jscottoutdoors.com. But, yeah, I mean, um, big body deer for sure. Um, his tarsal glands were all uh, just, he would been rubbing. It was uh, pretty cool. And then... Let's go ahead and fast forward. Actually, somewhere in there, Dan, tell me the story about our second lion of the trip, which, um, Dan, tell me briefly about Dan almost getting a shot at that lion, or getting a shot at that lion. Or. Well, yeah, I had dropped, I had gone up on a big peak, and Dan and Bill had taken the ranger, and Dan had dropped Bill off, and he had gone to the end of the road up, out on the point. And I glassed up a lion probably 30, 40, probably 45 minutes before dark and watched him go a couple ridges and then bed down. And Dan was kind of over in that area, so I got him, had him walk down a point and look into this kind of canyon where, where I thought he'd be able to see the lion, and he could see the tree two ridges over where the lion was. He could see the tree that was like 20 yards above the lion where the lion was bedded. And then he could see 10 yards below the tree. But uh, basically we were within four or five yards of him being able to see where the lion was bedded. And so I was hoping we sat there and sat there and sat there. And I was hoping the lion would get up and go uphill, which he didn't. And it, it got to where it was getting, starting to get dark. And we talked about just trying to fire a shot over there by the, which never works. Which never by the way. worked by the oak tree, you know, that he could see, in hopes that the lion would, you know, run up to where he could see him, and that was kind of our only chance. So he tried it, and dang it, if that lion didn't run right up underneath the tree that he could see, and he he shot at him again and missed him. It was, I want to say it was like 500 yards or 550 yeah. yards, but it made for a an entertaining evening for sure. Yeah, we were listening to the whole play-by-play -play show, um, Dean and I, and um, we were listening to all that, and it was fairly exciting listening to you guys um, chasing that lion. And um, so Bill has got his second tag. Um, okay, so we have two days left, and you spot a buck. I was half as close to that buck, so you sent me on a 
wild run over there to, to try and get my eyes on that buck. And I did, and I got up, and I, I remember you telling me, look on that Ocotillo point. And anyway, boom, I get the buck, but just as I get him, he's go, kind of going over this hill. And um, anyway, I stayed right there on covering that whole backside of the hill, and you guys relocated all the way around, took the rangers around, and came up where that buck should be right there in front of you. And didn't you pick that buck up? Um, yeah, we we got set up over there, and probably 15 minutes after we had set up, the buck stood up. It must have been bedded right where you last saw him. And, but just out of my sight. But yeah, on the back side, the, the side opposite side yeah. of the hill that you could see. And he ended up walking across kind of the hillside probably 250 yards, 200 yards, and getting down to where we couldn't. There was another ridge blocking our view of where he went. So we left Dean or Dan stayed up there, and I went and grabbed Bill, and we went went moved in closer and to where we could see where the buck had gone, you know, where we last saw him go into. And then I relocated all the way around and got up above where I was above you guys, yep. but had a good vantage on the buck where he was bedded. Yep. And that that stinker stayed bedded from what one o'clock till. No, it was, a, it was like 11 o'clock, 11.30 when we got over there. Okay, so 11.30 till, I mean, literally a last light. No, he got up one time with like 30 minutes to go, but didn't he just get up and he was behind that bush for a second and then he bedded right back I, down by that rock? I want to say he got up, he went to the bathroom, took a couple bites and laid right back down pretty much in the same spot. Yeah, no shot, and then so you guys are just laying down there baking in the sun all day. And we're, I mean, we're at 400 yards from him and can see him when he stood up, but just couldn't see any of his vitals. Vitals, yeah. yeah. And so, dang, if, I mean, like last light, the buck gets up but never offers a shot, and so you guys elected don't push it, you know. And so we make the plan to everybody go back in there the next morning, I went around the backside again to the original spot, and we glassed till 11 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I'm going to say 11.30 or noon, probably. With no sign of the buck, and um, we had nicknamed the buck Bingo. And so anyway, this is our last evening, you know, last afternoon, wanting to make sure Bill gets that buck. So I came around on my ranger and came and decided I was going to go up and kind of penetrate into the country where he was, and Dar kind of did the same thing. And I pick up a buck like a thousand yards out, and he's walking right at me, and he looks like a big, big rack, I mean big buck. And then I realized he's got branches in his antlers, and that's what made him, he looked like a big non-typical, but by the time I really was looking at him, I realized that that was a big branch that he had broke off in his antlers. At that point, I didn't know which buck it was because he still had brush in his antlers, but I could tell it was a really nice buck. And he was a thousand yards out, but he's walking dead at me. And he's coming to a canyon that I'm literally like 350 yards from. And if he comes down in the canyon, we're going to get a shot at him that afternoon. And he comes down, he shakes the branches out of his, and then I realize it's the heavy three-point that Dar was calling bingo. And um, He comes, and he comes finally. He's walking, 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 just kind of rut walking. He finally slows way down on the shady side of this hill, and he goes to just about to bed down, and I look up, and about 100 yards, a coyote comes perpendicular to his line, turns and comes right down his scent trail, comes right down, and I just watched him. And I'm telling Dar, I'm like, this, this coyote's coming right at our buck. He's sniffing our buck out. And dang, if he doesn't jump that buck, they take off running at a full sprint, that coyote chasing that buck, for, an, for close to a mile. I mean, we, if that buck would have bedded right there in the shade, Bill was already coming our way. Dar was already coming to me. I mean, we were going to get a shot the last afternoon. We were going get, to probably get this buck. And that coyote jumped him up and ran him into some cl completely different country. So we didn't have a lot of time. So Dar and I kind of bounced around on these knobs and got where we could look over in that country where he was. Well, Dan had kind of doubled back around. Dan's like, <laughs> I forget exactly what he said, but he said, I think I got a good buck, guys. I got a good buck. And we're like, you know, is it bingo? And he's like, I don't know, but it's big. 
And what was that, like 30 minutes left of light, R, or hour? Yeah, probably I mean, an hour, I would say. I mean, the sun was definitely yeah. starting to set. And um, anyway, Dar gets over on the buck. So now Dar and Dan can see the buck. And you're what? How far are you from the buck, Dar? Oh, I'm probably 1,500 yards. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at that point, we knew it was a good buck, but we didn't we didn't know if it was the same that buck that we'd nicknamed Bingo or not. Yeah. And anyway, I run down to the road where I met Bill and then we made a stock up there and the buck fortunately bedded down kind of between this tree and Bill laid down and shot him, I think 292 yards or 290 or 95. One shot just cracked him and it turned out to be a beautiful four by four, um, which is rare um, for coos deer. You know, you don't see many four by fours. He went like 108 inches, um, just a beautiful buck right at, right at last light. Yeah, so it was a mad, mad scramble the last you know hour of light, and Bill made a good shot, and we got it done. Yeah, in closing, Dar, um, you know, as many years as we've been going down to Mexico, you know, uh, 15, however many years it is, you know, it seemed like that ranch, we saw quite a few coyotes chasing deer, it seemed like the predators have probably taken its toll a little bit on that ranch. And, you know, from the first year we went there, doesn't it, you know, we kind of thought our deer numbers were at least in half. Yeah, we definitely saw, I would say, less deer, um, you know, less less on the quality side, antler growth. And, I mean, even our doe numbers were yeah, down. Yeah, even doe numbers. Um, but like you talked about being down there turkey season, you know, it's we get down there in January and the feed looks good but when you're there you know or we're there in the spring early summer it looks like you know moonscape the last yeah years because of the, the drought that the, you know yeah so I mean I think they go into you know I think Mexico the last several years has been down antler quality all over I mean they're still shooting some good bucks here and there but you know when the conditions in the spring are so bad that they 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 have to get their bodies nutritionally sound before they can really start growing antler. And when it's dry, it's just tough. They've got quite a bit of feeding to do after they drop their antlers to get their bodies in this position. And, you know, the problem is, you know, April, May, June, that's our driest years uh, or driest months this time, you know, um, in Arizona and Sonora, Mexico. I mean, that's, that's before our monsoon season. Virtually we get no moisture. Anyway, um, I think I think uh, our ranch has um, dropped a little bit in quality. Hence, uh, here in the next couple of weeks, we're headed down. We've got a handful of ranches to look at for next year, and uh, exciting stuff. Uh, Definitely, and there's, I mean, the, the thing about Mexico is the lack of hunting pressure down there. Even though it wasn't as good, it's still very good compared to oh, the I state mean, land hunt here in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, it's it's apples and oranges. I mean, it's just great to go lock those gates on the ranches and, you know, have 30, 30 40,000 acres to yourself. And, right. you know, what's nice is you can pass a deer and come back and know that nobody else has chased them off. You know, maybe a lion or a coyote, but nobody shot him. Nobody's, you know, shot him and take, you know, quartered him out and he's gone. Um, so Mexico will sure spoil. We, we've had some great years down there and, you know, our clients and you and I personally have shot some tremendous bucks and had some of the best adventures of all down there wouldn't you say i think it's one of our favorite hunts and there's there's a reason we keep going back down there i mean it's hard to beat yeah yeah so well bud i think that's going to wrap it up for this episode and um congrats to parker on his deer and um congrats to you as a father for um you know getting both your boys out there you know hunting and fishing and and you know, target shooting and doing all the stuff you do. It's obvious that, uh, that, uh, they both like it. And, um, you know, it's a family affair and I know you guys are eating, you know, wild game meat all the time. And, um, yeah, you have know, Parker's, uh, I, I got Parker's back straps marinating tonight for steak. So yeah, you're, you're, um, you sure have got that down. And we had several back straps down in Mexico after year we shot with your little, uh, uh, why don't you tell me real fast what you put it in? What's your little secret? Well, we like to, we've been doing it for 
two or three years down there, we we cook. They cook on mesquite uh, wood coals down there, so we always like to save our back straps uh, from the deer separate and uh, get them chilled out real nice, and then clean them up, and then slice them into little medallions and marinate them for a day or two in uh, Italian dressing, and then grill them over those mesquite coals. It's and it's hard to beat. Uh, it's just mouth-watering. They're so tender and so good. Um, phenomenal tasting deer. If you haven't tried coos deer, yeah. it's just <clears throat> out of this world. Um, well, buddy, thanks for joining us, and I look forward to um, some more of these. And um, you, you uh, have a safe drive home. I know it's a little rainy today. We're fortunate to get some moisture. So um, real fast, Dar, what, um, what do you have on the uh, upcoming list here? What, what hunts do you have coming up this spring? Well, I'm hoping to do uh, a predator hunt with our buddy Craig Steele, and then uh, pro- hopefully do that in in March, March or early April, and then uh, maybe a Lee's Ferry fly fishing trip and spring break. Spring break, and Parker's got a juniors turkey hunt in April, and then we're headed to Nebraska to do some turkey hunting in May. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that uh, the Nebraska trip will be something I know you've been wanting to get out there and uh, you, you have family that's from there and uh, probably nice to get back there and see some of that country that they've loved for so many years. And uh, what's your yeah. adventure? What do you got next? On- uh, you know, we're going to go down to Mexico and look at some of these coos deer ranches here in a couple of weeks, you and I. But um, next hunt is end of March. Uh, Jay and Will over in California, my nephew's um, they're not little anymore. They're both big giant men, but, uh, going to go shoot a couple real grand turkeys in California. And then we come back and have a slew of Arizona hunts here. And then, uh, Mexico Gould. So the spring should be good. Yeah, for sure. You're getting, uh, getting your turkey call on for sure. Yeah. I'm starting to strut around. So, well, thanks for being with us. And, um, it's always a pleasure guiding with you and it's been uh, fun hunting with you for as long as we have. And, uh, enjoying our real estate business together. Um, you can follow Dar on Instagram at Dar Colburn, um, Dar Colburn, D-A-R-R Colburn, C-O-L-B-U-R-N on Instagram. Um, Dar is also a regular contributor to jscottoutdoors.com. And then we have our website, colburnandscottoutfitters.com. And um, one of the best guides in the state of Arizona. Um, I am... Even though I'm biased, having Darby, one of my greatest friends, it's uh, no doubt he's one of the best guides in the state. So um, it's always a pleasure having you, buddy, and I look forward to the next conversation. Likewise, man. Thanks. All right, buddy. Take care. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I want to finish real quick by demonstrating two turkey calls uh, that I picked up at the National Wild Turkey Convention in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I got a couple, well, I got a bunch of calls, but uh, here's two of them. This is the first box call is a TY, T-Y custom calls. Um, It's got a real nice sweet sound to it. Check it out. box call there by Thai Custom Calls. The second one I want to show you is um, from Talking Stick Game Calls. This is another box call that's got a little different sound, but uh, sounds real nice. Talking stick game calls. I had a great time at the NWTF National Convention and uh, looking forward to turkey season coming this way and uh, it's coming fast and can't wait to hear those birds gobbling and uh, thank you for tuning in and I'm going to leave you with a little bit of uh, sound of spring that we'll be hearing here shortly. Uh, These are some Gould's turkeys that I filmed down in Mexico and so 
look forward to uh, having you guys join us back next week. Thank you.